0: Hi, this is Panel Beta and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine, and wellbeing. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.
1: Hello, everyone. Look, you are listening to Radio Therapy, and of course, it's Sunday, May the third. It's probably fair to say it's the oddest may time in my memory uh, for a start i'm look i'm doing something relatively typical i guess sitting in the radiotherapy studio at triple r um but i'm all by myself <laughs> normally i've got a crowd of people i'm talking at 100 miles an hour i'm preparing jokes to crack banter to go forward with but i'm all on my lonesome although i do have panel beta. About two and a half studios away, <laughs> and I can see you through windows. Get paddle vita, How are oh, you, man?
0: Good to see you, Doolittle. It's
1: it's odd, isn't it? It really feels strange. I suppose before I go into the intro, let me just tell the Triple R people, the community, what's going on. So we're doing as much social isolation as we can, and we're preparing, you know, for a time when even if we potentially doesn't look like it's going to happen, but have to work from home or everything. We've got various um, presenters at home, and when people do come in, we've just got one person in each studio, and we've got a line of three studios just to paint you a picture with the green room in the middle. So between me and panel beta there's um, Soundproof Window, Studio, Soundproof Window, Green Room, Soundproof Studio, PB. <laughs> what do you reckon, PB? Uh, look, I
0: think, well, we're, we're, we're doing okay, I reckon. That's the first thing. We're on air. People can hear us. This
1: is all good so far. So let me get – what so – Panel B is going to ring our first guest now, whilst I give you a little bit of an update on where things are going. Let me tell you what we've got on the show first. We've got a series of interviews with our regular panellists. We thought we'd keep it local. So we've got Spock... On the phone first. He's going to talk about the flu vaccine, nursing homes, and a few other things. We've got Cyber Sue coming in. Cyber Sue's going to talk a little bit about, you might not know this, but Cyber Sue set up a lot of the um, telehealth services in some of the big hospitals in Melbourne. So we've asked her to talk about lessons from telehealth and what we can learn for communicating with our friends and family, because we're all now talking over Zoom and WhatsApp and Facebook and various other live things. So Cyber Sue's going to give us an update on that. We've got Dr Patient, our resident consumer, um, coming on the line. He's going to talk about how this is affecting people in the community with mental health problems and give us some tips about how he's handling the whole thing. And, of course, we've got Trainer Wheels, who is our medical student, and she's going to tell us a little bit about student life. Banter will be slightly restricted, so you're just going to have to put up with me and panel bantering through multiple windows. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an update on where we're going. Well, to begin with, we're doing bloody well from a COVID perspective in Australia. We've had about 6,800 cases now in Australia. We've had 93 deaths, which is about 1.4%, which is incredibly good considering the uh, countries and cities that have been overwhelmed. The death rates got as high as 5, 6, 7, sometimes even reported as high as 10%. We've only had about 90-odd cases in the last week, 90, 9 zero. That's just phenomenal. Most of our people who have had it, of our 6,800, have recovered. And we've now got under 1,000 people with COVID in the whole country. So I pulled out my little calculator on my little phone before. That's one in every 25,000 Australians have COVID at the moment. So we're on a low base. But this brings the big issue of what is the next best step. And of course, nobody knows. Um, but at least, unlike so many others who keep talking about building the plane while you're flying at it, we've got a lot of time to think, study and plan. We can look at all these other countries and we can get an idea of what the best thing to do is, which is just a phenomenal luxury in a crisis like this. And we know that whatever plan we do take, we're starting from an incredibly low base. You know, 900 people in the whole country. So even if we introduce plans that do go a little bit askew or haywire and and it takes off more than we expect, we're starting from such a low base that once again, we'll have weeks to readjust and fix things up. In a sense, people keep using the war analogy. And uh, in a sense, we are in the trenches at the moment. We still don't know what the enemy looks like, but um, we're not running as blind as we could be. Instead, we're studying the enemy, we're developing weapons, which are treatments, basically, and potentially a vaccine, and we're learning when to attack. We're learning, essentially, I'm I'm probably pushing this analogy far too far, but we're learning how to camouflage ourselves through isolation. And we're pretty sure that one thing we can say is that our casualties from this one's going to be a lot lower. Nevertheless, it's still a frightening time. I know I've been quite frightened and scared and gone through various emotions, and I'm not 100% sure what's worse at this stage. I know I'm still scared of the virus. Look, I'm slightly less scared for myself, to be honest, because, you know, we've now got enough data to know that, you know, most people are getting through really well, even people who have sickness and who are elderly, if they've got adequate resources, do much better than if we don't have adequate resources. And in the six or so weeks that we've had to plan, we've... (sighs) Got capacity to triple our ICU now. We've got enough PPE to protect our healthcare staff so that they won't get sick and leave the hospitals. So we know so I'm not so scared of the virus now. I I, I sort of anticipate I'll get it at some stage but I'm not so scared. I'm a little bit scared of the economic depression that we're potentially facing. You know, if if you think of the various sciences the science of healthcare is hard enough you know, but then we've got lots of things like biological numbers and things we can measure temperature, all these numbers. Our science isn't bad. Economics, the science is Still, they're going to kill me for saying this, but it's pretty terrible. You know, there are so many unknowns in the economy that we don't know where we're heading, so I'm a bit scared of that and the implications for people in our community. I've got to tell you, I'm a little bit scared. I don't want to put you the wrong picture on this, but I'm a little bit scared of the Big Brother-like environment that we could be entering into. I've still got a lot of faith in our politicians in Australia and I don't think we're going too far and I must admit I've downloaded the COVID Safe app and I feel pretty comfortable with the whole thing but I'm a little bit scared when I see silly things on the media about drones flying around measuring my temperature as I walk down the street. I just wonder what will happen if all of those things get into the wrong hand and I guess the last thing I'm a bit scared of is you know potentially international strife and war and the blame game and different countries deflecting attention from their own poor behaviour by screaming at others and I'm a little bit scared of that but anyway and I've felt a range of feelings at various times I've felt invigorated and I've felt this is you know sort of the most interesting time in medicine and I'm so impressed with the way the communities come together you know I've definitely got that of course I've got fear for myself my family my friends you know I'm pretty proud too of a lot of the things I've seen I'm pretty proud of what's going on in the hospitals. At times I've felt, this is a weird one, but at times I've felt deflated. Like, you know, and I think this is the issue around, you know, we prepare and prepare and prepare and then sometimes things don't come to eventuate. Now, of course, that's because we're prepared so well. And people who work in prevention tell you that it's a pretty thankless task because if it goes well, everyone says it wasn't necessary. But so I've tried to put that in in context but overall I look I guess it's just that uncertainty that's the main thing that sticks in my head because the decisions we're facing are hard and there's no clear answer how do you balance the risk from economic loss versus the risk of the virus the science of each is hard and risks are being taken with whatever decision or plan that we as a community choose and like everyone else I know bugger all and I certainly don't know where we're going to be in six months time and to be frank I don't think the experts do either And so containing the anxiety is hard. You know, never before have we been so dependent on our neighbours and leaders. Our neighbours, because how we act as a community affects the level of risk outside our front door. And the more people who socialise equals more disease, equals more risk. So we're dependent on our neighbours. And, of course, we're dependent on our leaders because the actions they take... Directly and indirectly affect our risks. And every day I hear different experts, all genuine experts, mostly stand up and give opposite opinions... Especially around schools, restrictions, treatments, and of course the biggie should we aim for eradication or should we aim for just controlling risk and keeping it level? And sometimes the more information I get just adds to the confusion, especially when some of the experts aren't that great. Just this morning I was listening to, watching one of the TV shows before I came in here, and they had a doctor on who was just frankly giving incorrect facts. And it wasn't a doctor who was really qualified, it was more someone who was in there to promote their new cooking. Book, I think, that was coming up. And of course, a few minutes later, they got a genuine expert on who corrected it. But that sort of stuff worries me. But what I do know is this: what I do know is this. We have to adapt, we have to keep level heads. We have to pay attention to our mental health so that we can keep those level heads. We have to look out for each other. We know the crisis is far from over, and so we need everyone working together, in particular, our politicians. And I really hope they don't fall for the trap of. of shrinking back to their old ideology this is no time for point scoring no time for schoolyard politics and what I hope what I hope more than anything obviously that you our listeners and are safe I hope you're all safe and keeping well and I hope you've got friends and loved ones that you're in contact with and I hope you're okay from a work a money a housing perspective and I hope you feel in control most of the time I guess we have to all remind ourselves daily that so far we're on great track We're doing well. The risks are high, but if we stick together as a community, we trust the experts, they're our biggest, best hope, and encourage the politicians to trust the experts, then we'll be fine. And at the end of the day, so far, not many of us have it. And if we do get it, of course, as I said at the top, our chances of surviving are excellent. And if there's one thing science has taught us about pandemics and infections and epidemics and everything else, one thing that we know for sure is that this will end and we will get through this. And there will be a time, hopefully six months, maybe a year, but there will be a time when things are back to normal. Anyway, that's my little intro for the morning and I'm going to uh, see Panel Beater. I reckon it might be time. Are you over there, Panel Beater? I certainly am. Can I just ask you before we go to our guest, how yep. are you travelling, man?
0: Yeah, it's... Um, oh, look, compared to a lot of people, I'm doing absolutely fine. Whenever I'm feeling a little bit uh, of cabin fever or a bit uh, stressed about things, um, I just keep bumping into so many horror stories that um, I'm relatively good.
1: That's cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. Hey, are you a COVID safe downloader or...? This just feels like actually almost a private question that you shouldn't ask someone. Just by the by, we're up to about four million downloads so far.
0: Four million and it's still not operational. Yeah, Um,
1: not till next week. What are your thoughts?
0: um, Yeah, I've downloaded it. Um, I I gave myself a good talking through it before I did. It wasn't automatic on my part. I think I just ended up landing, you know, sort of like in the – in the consequentialist camp, you know, the utilitarian. I just thought, what's the greater good here? And I went with that. And I thought, if my reservations are about privacy and and things like that, then the solution to those privacy issues probably hasn't got much to do with the app and's it got something to do with other other things we can take a look at. But um, um, so I have at the moment, and whether I stays on or not, I'm not sure. But for the time being, yep.
1: We're on the same page. You know, funnily enough, though, I wasn't so concerned about privacy because, you know, I know, like you, that we download so many other apps and things that... But I was a little bit concerned about the technology because I heard that, they, you know, it interferes with iPhones and whatnot. And funnily enough, just the other day, I was doing a telehealth session with one of my patients who I've been speaking to for a while and uses a particular, you know, proprietary app for this um, telehealth service. And for the first time ever, her apps crashed about four times during the one-hour session. And you know, the only thing she would down- loaded was COVID, but by the same token, I haven't had any crashes on my phone yet. Have you had any crashes on yours?
0: No, I think I had a couple of peculiarities because it's obviously working off Bluetooth. Um, So I think... uh I'm not sure about this, but I think when I first downloaded it, I'd, I'd accidentally synced with another Bluetooth device or something. Um, but, um,
1: but it, you know, no, nothing obvious at this point. I hope you weren't downloading someone else's data. You might get us <laughs> confused exactly. and, and it might say, Dr. Doolittle, you've been in contact with all sorts of people. That Anyway, hey, yeah. w- have you got Spock, uh, Spock hanging around? Yes, he's sitting tight, ready for you. Can you hear a Spocky Spock Spock? I sure can. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you loud
2: and clear. Oh, wow. How
1: are you going, my friend?
2: I am uh, I'm going pretty well. I mean, just he, uh, hearing panel beater there, I, it's absolutely right that uh, um, I suspect that our lives are all um, pretty good compared to so many around Australia and the world. I mean, we're, you know, I've got a great job. I still go to work. I still interact with people, uh, admittedly, with some physical distance. And, uh, you know, uh, there's um, a few limitations to what I'm... Able to do, but that's no more, no less than anyone else. So yeah, I'm travelling pretty well. Hey, and,
1: and it's known, well known that you work at the Royal Children's Hospital. We work near each other. We've known each other for about thirty-five years. Hey, how's the Royal Children's um, travelling? How are they impacted yet?
2: Um, well, impacted in the sense that uh, you know life has changed dramatically, like it has everywhere, and um, and it's an eerie sort of place in a way at the moment because. Uh, there are very few, there are, you know, it's normally a really bustling place with lots of families and one of the things I love about it, you know, kids everywhere have being a bit chaotic compared to adult hospitals often. Um, at the moment, you know, everyone's being screened as they come in and some are being rejected. There's only allowed to be uh, one or two visitors. You know, both parents can be with a child but no other visitors um, Uh, can come in without being vetted, and and there's a limit to the number of people who can come in. All of our clinics are telehealth, like most places. I mean, most of the the clinics are. So it's a really funny place to be at the moment. The emergency department um, is quieter than I've known it in in 30 years. it's, it's you know the numbers are uh, you know down in an unprecedented way, which I know that a lot of hospitals around Melbourne are experiencing, and and that's actually a real concern that maybe um, it's not just people staying away thinking, well, I've got a sniffler, I can probably do fine with this and don't need to go to the hospital as some people sometimes do. But we're worried that there are actually some people with illnesses, genuine illnesses, that are staying away, and we do know about some delayed presentations of things already, um, kids with diabetes with with uh, bad infections who held out because the parents were concerned about going to a health service. So, so that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's a consequence of all of this. But so it's a changed environment. We've had very, very few cases of COVID, of course. I mean, so we're doing tonnes of planning, changing lots of things, but we've had you know, nine cases in total, all of whom have been perfectly well. Uh, when I say perfectly well, they're not, not unwell and have all gone home and stayed at home. Um, so that's great
1: can I just, you know, you've reminded me to give a very important shout out there. Um, The hospitals are getting back to normal. So not, you know, normal, normal, but we're increasing elective surgery, we're trying to do more face-to-face and addressing more now because the acute stuff's over. And so I I work at Peter Mac, the cancer hospital, and so we're saying the same thing to people. Don't delay. We're very scared that people are going to delay their um, cancer treatment. We're scared that they're going to delay diagnosis. So our message is also now to start, uh, you know, make sure you've got close contact with us, make sure getting your tests hey I want to ask you something else though because you are also and as well as being a pediatrician you're an infectious diseases expert you've looked after my family for many years including midnight calls not all infectious diseases too there was the time there was a cut on the head that you stitched up but I want to ask you about the flu vaccine because we got a really interesting and important um, email from one of our listeners this week about the nursing homes and it basically raised the issue of some nursing homes are saying you can't visit unless you've had the flu shot. And I know you and I have discussed, including on this show, many times whether vaccines should be compulsory, the pros and cons. Do you think nursing homes are being a little bit unreasonable when they say all visitors have to have had the flu shot before they come in?
2: Well, look, it's important to note, it's it's not, they're not going off um, on their own saying this. It's come from the government um, that uh, it began with healthcare workers. Um, and government has sort of said this year it's mandatory for people who work in aged care to have had the flu vaccination to be able to work there, and that sort of crept a little bit to include now visitors to aged care facilities, and, and, and indeed, it's healthcare workers in all hospitals are uh, meant to have it, have a flu vaccine. That is, um, so it's not just you know individual aged care places haven't gone off half cocked and said. You, you've got to have it. Um, it's come from the government, and and look, it is with. There, there's some good reason behind it. I, I'm I am not really, as you know, uh, in favour of making things mandatory. I think that it's much better to sort of offer incentives and explanations and so on. But the reasons are a few. I mean, the elderly are the ones who are most at risk of flu. In this year, more than ever, there's a concern that if um, resources are being swayed towards flu, we had a shocking flu season last year, the worst ever in Victoria and in Australia generally, and many deaths, lots of illness. And if we have the same thing again, that may take away services from people who are needing it for COVID. And the other thing is that there's an overlap in the symptoms, and so what we might have is the, is people um, thinking that it might be COVID and then having to be managed as such when it's flu. So I think that's that's the reason behind it. I don't agree with making it mandatory, but um, the idea is that people who are visiting, uh, as of May the first, uh, the, the the directive was that anyone anywhere when working in or anyone visiting a healthcare uh, an aged care facility needs to have had flu vaccine to protect the, those who are actually the most vulnerable, probably from flu, apart from the very young.
1: I just worry, and, of course, that yeah. um, you know we'll get that balance wrong, and you know I know my own father early on. You know, he's doing fine, but when he was struggling with the isolation, he lives alone. And uh, he was saying, I'd rather the risk of COVID than the risk of, than the torture of isolation now of course yeah. you know it's not just his risk he has to consider but anyway look it's, it's an it's a great answer you've given and it's important i just want to ask you super quickly because we're almost short on um we you know i always run behind on time but the other thing i saw yesterday in the newspapers was a three-page ad from clive palmer's um organization saying that they bought something like 30 million doses of chloroquine now i assume they started buying that up a few weeks ago before studies came out saying maybe it's not so good as we thought what did you make of that
2: well, um, he did. He, he said, actually in the ad. I mean, it's hilarious ad, in on so many levels. For starters, um, quite unnecessarily, it says at the top of the ad that they were authorised by Clive Palmer, as if you know the Electoral Commission is going to come after him. I think we know that they're from him. But um, he he says in the ads that uh, he started stockpiling in uh, March, and he moved really early. He's sort of you know he, he said sort of, what's hilarious is that he sort of puts himself up there with Trump and with Morrison and so on, as if he's sort of one of the saviours. Um, but he bought up. 32.9 million doses, according to his thing, and they cost I don't know, millions of dollars, and, and he's offering them for free, to, for, they're offering those doses for free to government to distribute to Australians. And, I um, mean, the ads come out now, and the timeline goes right through till, till now. There's this time, the two pages of it, you hilarious. I sh- But I you got that all was these, hilarious. Yeah. All these national flags. Um, and interspersed with stuff that he's done, like he's sort of part of the sort of the international effort against, um, uh, against COVID. And then the whole thing, you know, there are these little flags for each country as, as there's been advances in, in medical care and so on. And then at the bottom of the timeline is this huge, about 10 times the size of any of the flags, a picture of him looking smug and as if he's the saviour of the whole thing. And that's dated a few days ago. So I think that it's, you know, the ads are pretty recent. And it, so I don't think that he gives a shit about the fact that um, that... Uh, hydroxychloroquine actually is probably not the drug that's going to do anything and in it he claims also makes it sound like it's going to improve the economy and do all sorts of things he sort of he uh implies that uh, at the time that greg hunt came out and said that we might trial this drug since then um the death rate's gone down from COVID, and therefore he i mean he doesn't say it implicitly but it implies that um that that means that you know, the introduction of hydroxychloroquine, him buying those doses, has made all the difference to flattening the curve in Australia. So It's so hard to know, isn't it? That's yeah. so hard to know. <laughs> On
1: well, the one I'd... hand, you know, at least he's trying. On the other hand, there's hints of self-promotion and there's hints of various other things. But, you know, it's just hard to know what people do in a time of crisis. But, you know, there's one thing for sure. If I get COVID, I'm ringing him up immediately. and I'm asking him to be my doctor.
2: Yes, well, uh, I think, you know, he probably, he might give you some snake oil or something, but, uh, yeah, uh, (laughs) you can do that if you want. I might stick to uh, local doctors that I know.
1: (laughs) Hey, uh, Spock, it's been great to have you on the blower, um, on the telephone from somewhere around Melbourne. Um, Stay safe and we'll uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Okay, see you, Doolittle. Cheers. See you, panel beater. See you, Spock.
3: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how.
1: How are you, Panel Beta? Still there?
0: I'm doing okay. I'm just hoping we've got uh, trainer wheels lined up.
1: Let's see, let's see. I can, I can hear you both perfectly. Can you hear me? Oh, oh.
0: we can now, yeah.
1: It was a bit mi- mysterious there a moment ago. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, trainee, trainee, trainer, wheels? What's news?
4: I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm at the park. It's beautiful to have a bit of fresh air after the rain the last few days. One, you know, little glimpse of normality at the
1: park. I got stir crazy yesterday because I was, um, you know, stuck inside all day, and you know, I, mm. I, it, I really struggled with it. It's I'm so damn lucky I'm working because it'd get me. Mm. And uh, just the rainiest that I couldn't get out, couldn't walk, couldn't ride my bike. Yeah, it's nice today. What's the weather like out there? I've, uh, I'm in the studio, and I've been here for an hour or two.
4: It's nippy, but it's not bad. It's not windy, so, and there's no rain. It's not, it's
1: you not heard bad. it here first, people. That's your weather report. Now, uh, hey, <laughs> now paint us a picture, Trainer Wheels. You are a medical student. What year are you in again? Final year. And you're a mum. You've got a little one to look after? Yep, that's right. How is life in the pandemic for you?
4: Look, it's difficult, but like panel Beta was saying earlier, in the scheme of things, things are good. Um, Maddie has lost her spot at daycare because my partner and I are not considered essential enough workers. I consider you essential. Thank you. That would be nice. Um, (laughs) So she's home full-time with us, um, and Luke, my partner, is home as well. Um, So we're all home all the time. We've got a relatively small house with not a lot of private space, so it's a lot of together time. Which has been really nice, and I think probably we will actually look back on this time as quite nice family bonding time. Maddie's at a really lovely age, talking lots and a lot of fun. Uh, but it is extremely difficult to get anything done. Um, I'm I'm lucky in that the, this semester of uni is research, which in theory can be done from home. Uh, the practicalities of doing that with a toddler is difficult. Um, It's also fair to say
1: sorry just to interrupt you there but it's fair to say research has largely gone on hold around town too. We're trying to keep what research we can going but research was the first thing that fell away because of social distancing in a lot of the clinical spaces like hospitals, maybe not so much in the big research institutes. So research is super hard although we just started bringing researchers back in our hospital on Friday so hopefully things will kick off for you, Trainer Wills? Yeah, yeah and I think I'm lucky
4: that I've got remote access and it's retrospective So I can do it from home in theory. Um, It's not lab-based. It's not I don't need to go and talk to people or that sort of thing. So it can be done from home. Um, And the uni has been quite good about it. They've made the whole subject pass-fail now. It's ungraded. So I don't have to do anything special. just have to get it done. Um, What about exams then? Yeah, exams is the interesting one. So we've done most of our major exams, but we do have to do the AMC exam just to make sure we're okay to be interns. And the uni have got us to download this really creepy software, which um, <laughs> nah. it, so it uses a webcam and it watches you while you're doing the exam to make sure you're not looking at books yeah. or talking to anybody. And I think it also verifies your identity somehow. But then it also monitors, it closes down all the other programs that are running on the computer. so You can't be, you know, looking on Google or whatever at the same time. And it monitors every keystroke, every mouse movement. Um, So that's the remote invigilation part of the exam software. Wait a sec, Uh, what's to
1: stop you having two computers open, your laptop next to your desktop and on your laptop you're reaching out with your arm that's not on the camera and you're typing in, is Chloroquine good, is Clive Palmer (laughs) our saviour? I love it when you have your criminal mind on.
4: I guess, look, it probably, it would would be difficult. It would be difficult because they are monitoring you with the video So I guess if you could find a way to do some sort of ventriloquy with a... I don't know. I guess you could in theory, but I think it would be hard. Panel Uh, B, did you say anything? Oh, sorry.
1: I thought you finished that sentence. It's hard over the telephone. (laughs) Panel B, did you have anything you wanted to ask?
0: Yeah, I'm really keen to hear from Training Wheels on what she's in turn hearing around town about the medical student workforce that's been called into action. Um, Mm. Neonatal's been keeping us posted um, for the last couple of shows. What what are you Mm -hmm. hearing amongst uh, your crew?
4: Well, neonatal and I are at the same clinical school at the same university in the same year, so I can't imagine my experience is very different from his. Um, I did see that there was a big media release that you know that's come out saying the deans of all the medical schools are saying it's time to get the medical students in, and that sort of sounded like a big deal. But we've been applying for jobs for weeks, and students have been in clinics, you know, checking people's temperatures and screening them for a good month or so so it's not it wasn't used to me to see that media release um i haven't signed up for it at the moment just because i've got a kid at home and it's hard to find the time do you feel really bad i will
0: do you feel that that's potentially a disadvantage for you that for your own very good reasons you're not signing Mm -hmm. up at the moment do you think that's going to come back to bite you at all
4: potentially yeah there's a few things like that that i think the i mean At the end of the day, I can't really complain too much, can I? I chose to have a cube, it's my own fault. But there are a few... Working from home poses a lot of challenges anyway. And when you've got a toddler at home, it makes it almost impossible. And the uni have now introduced these new tutorials that we have to do every week to keep us connected during the pandemic, which, you know, that's just another hour of the week that I have to try and steal away and hide in another room where Maddie can't interrupt. Um, and it's, it's actually it's not easy for me to do that. So there are there are things that the uni, yeah, I do feel like there, there is a bit of a disadvantage.
1: Hey, um, trainer wheels, we really appreciate you making time to chat with us this morning. Um, thanks so much for st- the call, guys. Stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll all be back in the studio again soon and yeah, uh, cracking jokes where we can actually see each other.
4: Yeah, do little. I just want to say, you know, really all the best with Dr. Clive. I'm sure he's gonna do a really good job looking after you. Um, I heard he's gonna be my personal doctor, so yeah. good
3: luck. You're listening to a Triple R Podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
1: Myself and Mel Practice, we have teamed up. We're both psychiatrists to make a podcast called "Shrink the Virus." Um, we've and Triple R have produced it. It's all through Triple R. It's on their website. You can go to Triple R, "Shrink the Virus," and check it out. We're up to about six episodes already, and we're looking at sort of the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic. Chatting to various pe- people, we've had a school teacher slash sort of school well-being expert on. We uh, had. Um, Anethicist from the Royal Children's on, she was fantastic too. We've had, uh, oh, we had Dr Spock on in his alter ego as Mike Starr talking about kids. Um, just last night we uh, interviewed a uh, doctor from UNICEF who was working in New York, talking about New York and various other things. So, uh, you know, if you get a chance, um, jump on board and have a listen to Shrink the Virus. And every, so every second episode we have a guest and then at the alternate episodes, it's me and Malpractice Practice uh, chatting away about... Um, some sort of issue or other. I think he's got me lined up to chat this afternoon about existentialism. I can't even say it. Um, He'll have to do all the heavy lifting on that topic while I just, as usual, say silly things and crack jokes. Um, So, yeah, if you get a chance, tune in to Shrink the Virus and see what you think and email us. We've got a whole lot of social media around it too. We've got Shrink the Virus on Facebook and Shrink the Virus on Instagram. And whilst I'm talking, I'm looking across to see if Panel Beta reckons he's got his thumbs up. What's going on, Panel Beta? We got him? I think Dr Page there aren't you dr patient good morning guys how are you we are well how are you my
5: friend oh yeah
1: coping coping hey coping. before we go on because i was just talking about um uh our new um, podcast triple last Shrink the virus and i um saw you on a podcast with one of our co-mates the other day tell yeah. us about that one that was really cool it was on what, what was it called
5: I had a ball. These guys are calling themselves the JJ Brothers. So it was James from the uh, from the TV show, and uh, he started a podcast that's that's just trying to get people to talk about their feelings. And uh, and you know I'm not one to shy away from that. So uh, so they they asked if I could come on and have a chat to them. And uh, you'll find them I think you'll find them on Instagram as the JJ Brothers 2020, or on Facebook as just the JJ Brothers. And we had a we had a fantastic chat for about 40 minutes. And uh, they're really really trying to do some really really positive stuff about just getting out there and talking about your feelings.
1: And when I say saw you, because when I looked at it, it was you were on Zoom. It was you and the two JJ brothers on Zoom. Is it yeah, So no, it comes out as a podcast or you can watch it live, can you?
5: Yeah, it was, a, it was a sort of a podcast as, as such. And I think they've got links to the, the recording on YouTube and they've got the, the whole thing on uh, on Facebook as well. It was an absolute ball. We had so
1: and, much fun. It looked great. And when you say TV show, of course, you and I first met um, over an SBS show that um, we were on together called How Mad Are You? Um, yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, that was how it all began. And you were on that, of course, talking about life, you know, basically being one of the participants and talking about life with a mental illness. So how are you, man? And how are you going in isolation and what's happening?
5: Look, uh, look. There, there's, been a, there's been a lot of things that we're supposed to have been doing, you know, maintaining that healthy balance and continuing exercise and keeping that routine up. And I have successfully failed at all of that. So you know, <laughs> Failed? The, 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 the best thing is that um, if, if I got one thing done a day, you know, when we were really in there, and the sort of in, right in the middle of of April, if I got one thing done a day, delayed some gratification that day, managed to get myself just pushing forward a little bit. That that was really helping because you know we're we're at home, we've got it, we've got our, our delightful son with us, and and it's hard. It's really hard. Um,
1: you, do you think, though? I think to a degree, failure is the normal in this because we set ourselves high expectations, and the reality is going about life as if it's as normal and being motivated to learn guitar or write something or do this yeah. or go exercising under the stress of the current circumstances is bloody hard.
5: Doc, that is so right. And and that's the thing. If we, we all talk about having the, that extra time, we'd be able to do all these wonderful things, but we neglected to decide that we were going to be given all this time right in the middle of a pandemic where we can't go and play outside. <laughs>
1: So, have you figured out any anything that you think is useful?
5: Yeah, the the, uh, the the thing that that I have managed to to, to the, the greatest tip that I've managed is that when you are doing something, you do have the time to put a little bit more into it. And I was I was talking about this just the other day. We were having a Thursday night where, you know, usually it's payday. You get home at six thirty in in the normal world, and there's not much in the fridge, but now, and you, you, you bang yourself together dinner in 20 or 30 minutes. Now, you can allow yourself to have two hours to make yourself just that, that nicer extra meal that gives you that little bit more time that you can sit there and say, wow, I really accomplished something with a little more time. And it's not, it's not setting yourself up a routine of 10 projects. It's just allowing yourself to take that little bit more time to do something. And the, the gratification of it was astounding.
1: That's nice. That's got a mindfulness element to it, hasn't it? You know, as well as giving yourself the time just, you know, trying to enjoy the moments.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's been a very difficult week. I mean, I, uh, for the first time in, in you know, 18 years, have, uh, have been able to go back and see, uh, see a psychiatrist again. So that's been... that? What's that like? look that uh, the the first session was was actually really good it was it was good to to you know just download the word salad of what's been going on in my head for the past 20 years and uh, and, uh, and be able to to you know hopefully get some new answers the 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 downside of it was is that we also decided to try um just to see if there was some newer medication out there because i've been on my same dosage for for you know the 18 years or so and Look, we we started that, and that has been has been quite a negative. I um just over the course of the week, I had a, a ridiculous reaction to it and had numerous side effects, which are considered sort of rare or not quite not quite common. And I only took it for three nights, and you know I started developing sores on my lips. I actually started developing uh, quite an arrhythmic heartbeat and you know I, I started to get some really really odd thinking and you know that was that was after taking it for just three nights and so you know I, I had a headache for, for literally four days until you know it got to the half-life and started to get out of my system so we stopped that straight away which look it was it was difficult it was disappointing but you know it's just something that we that uh, that was a bit of a miss but I've never never experienced a, a heavy reaction like that to anything
1: before I'm glad you feel better now. You know, I've had a few new patients over the last few weeks and it's been a, a real dilemma each time. Do we try something new in the middle of a crisis? Because, yeah. you know, the, you got physical symptoms, so that's pretty obvious that it, did, it was no good for you. That you know, if you get a few psychological symptoms at a time like this, it's hard to tell whether it's the change in treatment or whether it's just the overall stress. I know myself, you know, like I'm a person who gets lots of physical symptoms of stress. I've got a sore elbow, sore shoulder, sore foot, I've been getting headaches, my back's a bit sore and I've been... Getting chest pain, you know, how do you distinguish? You know, what's going on when you're in a crisis like this, yeah. um, doctor patient? Yeah.
5: Look, for me, distinguishing is the additional thinking or the additional fears or the additional anxiety that <laughs> that as a patient goes above and beyond the normal routine. Because you know, it, it's not that I would operate on a on a perfectly happy basis if we were in if we were in sort of you know normal neurotypical world where it's it's me monitoring. What additional things are causing me to worry that little further that exacerbates the uh, the stresses of my illness? And so much of it is, look, it, we enjoy going outside from time to time, but knowing that we aren't allowed to go and connect. I, I haven't seen my parents in, in you know, weeks. My, my, my mother is missing my son terribly. She absolutely adores him. And all of those things that, that are disconnecting our emotional, physical connection from being able to just sit there and be, with people you know like we would normally be in the studio is difficult it is very difficult
1: Hey, it's fantastic to hear from you. Um, oh, panel Betty, did you want to add anything? Sorry, man, I forgot. Uh, I'm sitting here by myself in my own little world. No, no, I, I just really
0: appreciate hearing from Dr. Patient talking about that personal experience. I I have no doubt uh, how, that there are a lot of people who can probably relate and find it really valuable to hear somebody else um, talk them through that experience. So it was tough to hear that the change in medication had that reaction, but it, it's probably, again, you know, it's really useful for people to hear that this can happen, but there's to it.
5: Yeah, and the 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 simple thing is that, that that I'd only had it I'd only had it for three days. It was a very very severe reaction, and I just stopped it. the The, the medication had a half life of I think twenty four to thirty six hours, and so by today I would say that it's ninety five percent out of my system. So hopefully there'll be a little bit of bit of normality. But again. This is this is not an exact science, and I don't blame anyone. I don't blame anything because you know they didn't they didn't go in to design the medication to say, hey, let's give the person these symptoms while having a, a psychiatric illness. You know, it's it's uh, it's something that that I've learned to accept that there are that there are going to be bumps in the road.
1: Hey, it's fantastic that you're back on track. And uh, no doubt, as I've been saying to the others, we'll see you soon in the studio. Have a nice Sunday. Go for a walk. I hope things are nice and pleasant for you out there. Good to speak to you, Dr. Patient. You too. Take care, guys.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
1: I've had all sorts of things on my mind lately. Um, you know, some of the things I've been wondering about, I've been... Wa- oh, look, let me tell you this one because it's an interesting one about herd immunity. So I've been tossing up in my head, you know, when I think about where do we want to go, what's my opinion on should we be aiming for eradication, stay in isolation as long as possible, let the virus die out in our country, or should we be going for controlled risk, having releasing some of the... Um, Restrictions, letting people move around, um, using the app and strong contact tracing to try and dampen down every mini little outbreak um, and uh, go ahead like that. And it's such a hard question. And no one's quite sure, although the government's heading towards the controlled risk approach. And I was thinking about the concept of herd immunity. So I did a little bit of googly-googling to see, you know, what, how much herd immunity do you need? So how many people do you need to be immune to the virus before you can you know, start to um, feel safe as a community? And I looked up various figures of various um, illnesses and uh, essentially what I found, bottom line is for COVID it appears to be somewhere between 30 and around about 60% of the population need to be immune, meaning either they've had the illness and they are now immune, which isn't 100% um, guaranteed, or they've had a vaccine, which of course we haven't got yet. And it just got me thinking, you know, that's quite a lot of people. Because even if you think of New York, they've had around about, whatever it is, 170,000 people infected out of 8 million. They're only going to be up to, even if all those people recover, they're only going to be up to 2% herd immunity. Anyway, look, I know Cyber Sue's on the line because I've just got the thumbs up. So I know I have to round up this little herd immunity spiel. But um, if you want to know more, just Google herd immunity and read what you see on Wikipedia. It's quite interesting and it's really informative and uh, interesting stuff. Cyber Sue, are you there? I'm here. Oh, and you sound so clear. After so much trouble Perfect. getting you, you sound so clear. How are you, um, Cyber? Sue? I am fantastic.
3: And I've got to say, before we get going, a big thumbs up to you and uh, PanelBeater. This is really tricky. You guys have done a great show.
1: Well, panel beat is the master of it all, not me. I'm just sitting here <laughs> crapping on. And I should tell people, just to paint you a picture, whilst I've been crapping on, the phone in his studio hasn't been working. There's a glitch, and so each time he runs out of his studio, round to the green room, rings up, puts someone on hold, runs back, has to listen in. It, you know, you've lost about I don't know how many calories you've. Um, you've <laughs> this is got. my this is my workout. This is. No. How oh. hey, so you uh- oh. Yeah. Sorry. So, so, so the reason we, you know, obviously you're normally on anyway, but the reason, the thing we asked you to talk about this morning is a lot of people don't know because you've moved on a bit in your career. But you early on set up a lot of the telehealth at the Royal Children's Hospital and then at Peter Mac. And so we were wondering what have you, what you you know, no one knows more about. Online chit-chat makes it sound sound less important than it is, but online talking than you. And so I was wondering, you know, we were wondering, what can we learn as families and friends now that a lot of our social interactions have become online?
3: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I think um, I was listening to the show before and I was listening to Dr Patient talking. And one of the big lessons that I have taken out of it is don't focus on the technology. The technology is there. It's easy. There's heaps of choices out there. And what this is about is actually about um, connecting people. What's it about? It's about being present and um, engaging with people. And if we set things up in advance and we have a nice environment where we feel comfortable, we feel warm, we've got good lighting and all of the techs in place, then really it's about having the conversations that matter and keeping people to get connected.
1: It's funny you should say that because you know a lot of the time I don't even look at the the screen now. So you know yeah. half the time, like if I'm on with my family, I'll just chuck the computer in the corner of the kitchen and I'll cook dinner and just listen to the banter, which is really
3: exactly it's exactly. Shoring. That's exactly right, and so um, we've got friends who um, one lives in Serbia and, has, and the partner lives in Ukraine, which is kind of the other side of the world. But they've had this long-term, long-distance relationship, and they're exactly that. They just set the computer up, and it just can keep them connected when they really can't um, be in person. And like with telehealth, it was about removing those geographical kind of barriers to connecting, obviously to for equity of health healthcare. But this is the same thing about removing those barriers. Sometimes, yeah. um,
1: in you know, with my for example we've been meeting up on a Thursday or a Thursday night and there's sometimes up to 16 of us which does seem too much is there an ideal number of people? Yeah well I mean the
3: technology itself has actually enabled heaps of people to connect and that's a huge improvement to my telehealth days however I think you're right because it's a little bit less personal to start with obviously and it's harder to actually have those one-on-one conversations and those breakups so I reckon a smaller group in my experience as well it works better
1: um, if you get to a big, oh sorry, if you get to a big group, yeah. do you think you should? Is it an idea to allocate someone to sort of be like the chair person or the like master moder- of ceremony? Yeah, I don't think it's a
3: bad idea to have. It, kind of, it sounds really formal, but to have a, a, some kind of moderator who then can make sure that everybody gets a chance to say something and do it in a way that kind of sounds casual and not too constrained, but enables that people can, you, you know, those things like the mics being turned off and on when they need to be and um, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of facilitate the flow of the conversation. And um, in my observation, that does seem to help a wee bit. And um, having those smaller groups, it can be, and also what's the nature of the conversation? Is it um, to have fun? Is it to play games? Or is it to be a little bit more personal? Um, You know, we've had... Things where we, people have put on uh, wigs beforehand, so it kind of lightens the mood of the
1: conversation a we bit, which can be fun. I also heard, I've seen people at work doing that. What about I, yes. I've heard people? Someone I, I can't remember. If I heard this now, but someone had a surprise birthday party, and the family organised a zumba or whatever it's called class <laughs> over Zoom, which I thought sounded really cool. I forget where I heard it. I'm probably plagiarising someone now. But hey, panel B, did you have any questions? Oh, I'm
0: uh, I'm just uh, having um, I don't know what I wouldn't call it quite uh post-traumatic stress disorder but I, i'm spending so much time uh, yeah. uh i'm teaching online obviously at the moment plus all the meetings and so on so it's about 20 hours in front of uh, my computer screen uh, where it's the um where i'm dealing with other people and it's not my natural habitat and i and and thinking about shrink the virus i heard um mel practice make a great comment about his experience online at the moment how much he relies on body language And in the teaching environment, body language is so useful knowing about how people are, um, uh, you know, hearing you and understanding you. And I'm missing a lot of that.
1: It's interesting yeah. you say that daily, you know, issue too. One of my mates the other day texted us on Thursday, texted to say, "Not joining Zoom tonight. Had thirty-five online consults today. I'm over it." Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's really tiring. Uh, in in a In a way that it's,
0: I mean, it's tiring in the classroom or in consultations, I'm sure. But it's a, it's a different type of tiring of fatigue.
3: Hey, so Cybersue. Zoom exhaustion, it's called.
1: Yes, and yeah. <laughs> not at all surprised, mm. Cyber Sue, um we're going to have to cut it short because I can see from the clock that we are running out of time, and I don't like to be late for Einstein because they are so fantastic. But thank you so much for jumping on the, tele- on the telephone and talking to us.
3: Of course. It's a pleasure to join you both. And I've got the app on too, COVID safe. I've downloaded it.
1: Yep. Just oh, to good. Add to that. Yep. You're one of the four yep. million like us. <laughs> We're in the four yes, million. My- my mum was the four millionth, I'm sure of it. Oh, she should get a cake or a prize or something. Hey, I Cyberson... agree, from the Queen. <laughs> yeah, from the... Oh, no, not from the Queen, from someone in Australia, no offense, someone anti <laughs> yeah. Um Hey, uh, great to talk to you, though, and we'll see you again in person soon. Great, look forward to that. Ciao. Hey, uh, Panel Beto, I reckon we're almost at the end.
0: We are, we are. I want to big thanks to all the listeners being patient with us um, while we <laughs> play around getting those uh, those phone calls happening.
1: Hey, yeah, and uh, let's remind everyone, as we always do at the end of the show, don't forget uh, Radio Therapy. You can listen to it on demand. You can also listen to the podcast. You can jump on our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, nearly always something to do with uh, if you just plug in the old Radio Therapy, you'll find us. Anything you want to uh, highlight, y- Panel Beto? Yeah, just one. Um, um, big, big, big thanks! Can't say thanks enough
0: for everybody's support during April Amnesty. It was extraordinary. I mean, it's tough times for a lot of people, but people really, um, really demonstrate a whole lot of support during Am- April Amnesty. Just fantastic. Bye for now. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine, and wellbeing. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.